It's good to uh, see people here when uh, praise begins. I think daylight saving time was good for us in that sense. Um, I didn't see anyone here extremely early who shouldn't have been. So I I am assuming that uh, you set your clocks backwards so that uh, we could make it here on time. Um, We're talking about generosity here in a lot of different ways. But um, I want to say at the outset that today's uh, message is a little bit challenging. It's difficult, not in the content per se, not only in, in living it out, but um, anyone who knows me knows that this is not something that's easy for me to talk about because it's not something that's easy for me to, to, to live out. And so um, we're journeying together on this to try and be more like Christ and to live lives that are gospel-driven and biblically-centered. And so um, as you hear this, um, know that I'm walking along with you in the same journey uh, towards Christ-likeness and towards growth and discipleship. Um, and towards that end, I, I, I struggle uh, with a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today. But... Um, I think it's something that's timely and important and something that I, as well as I believe all of us, need to hear uh, as well as it relates to, uh, as it relates to um, generosity. Today, um, I, I think you all know this, but I don't know if we, we think about it this way, that today with our falling back an hour, uh, today is actually a 25-hour day. Did you know that? That means that today is the longest day of the year. Unbelievable, right? Isn't that great? I know, uh, gosh, some of y'all probably wish that you had an extra hour every day, yeah? How many of you guys wish, oh, I wish I had an extra hour? Okay, a lot of the adults, okay? Yeah. Um, USA Today, there's an article, and the writer of this article basically went and he asked and interviewed all these different people who are experts in their field in different areas, experts in, in, in physical fitness and exercise, experts in food, experts in sleep, expert in uh, vocational training. And he asked, this, he asked this, each of them this question, if somebody were to just get by, right, just get by in life in your particular area. And it, for example, if someone were to just get by on how, 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 what would be the minimum hours needed to just get by um, in terms of sleep, in terms of devotion to your vocation, in terms of physical fitness and exercise, how much time would a person need to devote to that particular area of their lives, not to be a master at it, but to just get by. And the writer did all these uh, interviews and, and tallied up all the time, and it said that in order for you and me to just get by in what we're doing in life, we would need 40 hours a day. In other words, most of us wouldn't just want one extra hour. We would want 16 extra hours because as it is, here's what he's saying, that we're cramming 40 hours worth of stuff into 24 hours. And you wonder why we're so tired and why we're so busy while we're running around and running around and running around all the time because we're trying to do so much in so little time. And when you're trying to cram all that into a small amount of time, then it's no wonder that we can't be generous uh, with our time with other people. That's what I want to talk about. We've been talking about generosity and all of its different assets and and all of its different facets. And today I want to talk about being generous with our time. And if that's really true, that we're trying to do all this work in all this small amount of time, then how is it that anyone could ever be generous with the time that God has given to us? Thankfully, there is an example of a man who was and a man who did. It's the son of God. And he was born 
as a human so that he lived the same life and faced the same restrictions that you and I live. Jesus didn't have a 40-hour day. He had the same 24 hours like you and I did, like you and I do. And there's some extremely helpful advice here as we look into Mark chapter 1. So, Mark chapter 1. So if you turn there, Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 35 through 39 um, and just kind of drill into this text and then look at a, a few things on a, a flyby on the passages both before and after, but we're going to camp out in particular in verses 35 through 39. This is God's word. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, They exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, hey, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is God's word. So it's interesting. We talk about generosity. One of the first things that we mentioned as we're talking about generosity is that if we want to be generous with anything, with our money, for example, we have to realize that our money is not our own. Right? That was a principle of tithing is we recognize that this is not mine, but I'm giving this to God because he owns all this anyway. In the Bible, it says that God owns time also. Job uh, chapter 1, or uh, I forgot what, what chapter it is, but Job talks about how age to age he stands and time is in his hands, that he owns all time. And when we begin to understand that our time is not our own, we can begin to be a little bit more generous with it, understanding that God owns it all. He even owns our time. I think some of the most attractive people, not like physically attractive, but some of the most attractive people, people that I'm drawn to and that probably you're drawn to are people who are generous with their time, who recognize that their time is not their own. You ever met any celebrities lately? Um, living in Orlando, it seems like we are always running into them, at least not, well, not me per se, but a lot of y'all are seeing basketball players at the YMCA or uh, I remember a time where some of the guys saw, um, what was that, 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 uh, that rapper's name at, at Florida Mall or whatever many years ago? R. Kelly, saw R. Kelly. Um, not advocating his music, but we're, we're kind of running into these people. Uh, Pat Sajak, I saw him. Do you guys know who he is? Um, maybe some of the older folks. He's mad cool. He was uh, the Wheel of Fortune host, and he still is. Really cool guy. There are two types of celebrities when you meet them. You go up to them and you say, hey, can I have your autograph? And there's some who get really mad at you, and they say No. Because their time is theirs and they have a, a, a tight guard around it. They don't know. Get away from me. Maybe, maybe if I'm at a special autograph signing, I'll do it, but not when I'm walking around. No, I don't want to sign, I don't want to sign your stuff. And then there's people, maybe like Kevin Durant. Some of you guys saw this. Kevin Durant is an NBA basketball player who is not playing basketball right now because they're being locked out by the owners. And so he uh, just tweeted on his, website, on, his, on his Twitter. He said, hey, anyone playing flag football? I want to I play. And these guys wrote back and they're like, yeah, you know, we're, this, we're fraternity. We're playing flag football. Come. And, and they had this conversation he made phone calls and then he went out to play and everyone's like oh my gosh kevin durant actually showed up because he's there and as a celebrity he realizes that you know what um part of me being in the public eye is that i have a responsibility to other people that my time is not always my own that i can give of my time freely and that's why he's such a superstar that's why everybody loves him because he's great but he doesn't he doesn't have this idea or this sense that everything is mine and i'm tightly guarded around it these are the kind of people that are so attractive aren't they People who recognize that their time is not their own so they can be generous with their time. Now, the question is, how can you be so generous with your time 
and not end up getting fried and tired and burnt out and toasted and end up dead on the side of the road? How can you do that? Well, I think the instructions uh, in Jesus' life are extremely helpful for us to understand this. That Jesus was a man who was extremely generous with his time with other people. But there are three things that I want to kind of balance that with and help us to see how we also can be generous with our time. How many of you guys think, now maybe you'll be embarrassed to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you guys would, would really think people consider me to be a person who is generous with my time. Does anyone feel like, yeah, people consider me generous with my time? Honestly, we can be honest. We're at church. Okay, one person, two people in the back corners. Okay, very cool. Oh, and then some up here. Okay, good. The rest of us either are too embarrassed to say so because we'll raise our hand and people are like, what, you? No. <laughs> or uh, we really may not be generous with our time. So how can we do it? The first thing that we see here, like Jesus was generous with his time with others because Jesus was generous in his time with God. Jesus was generous in his time with God. Verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If you look right before that, um, I'm just reading the headings in my Bible. Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Jesus heals many. Then jump forward, a man with leprosy. Jesus heals a paralytic. He's doing all of these things. Many people, crowds are coming to him, and he's healing all of these people. Jesus was one that people would look at, and they would say, there's a man who is extremely generous with his time. There's a man who is extremely giving of his time because he recognized that it's not his own. But the thing that we have to understand here is that very early in the morning, as many times as you see Jesus going out and doing all of these things, being generous with his time throughout the Gospels, there are constant times, many times where we read and read and read where we see Jesus sneaking away to go to a private place to be alone with the Father. Or where Jesus always had a boat, and when the crowds were pressing around him, he always got in his boat so that he could be alone to be with the Father. See, if we want to be generous with our time with other people, the first thing we have to do is we have to be generous in our time with God. Is that difficult for you to do? Is it difficult? Do you find yourself saying when someone asks you, hey, can you do me a favor? Do you find yourself saying, oh, again? Or when someone calls you up, you look at their number and you're like, this guy always asked me for a favor. And do you get tired before he even or she even says anything to you? If you feel that way, it's probably because you're not able to be generous with other people. And the first question that I would ask is, are you being generous in your time with God? That's the first thing. Uh, We have a pastor here, Albert. He's feverishly typing away on his iPad. But if you've ever spent more than three hours with him, you realize that he begins to play this game. Okay, After about three hours, he plays a lot of different games that he creates in his own mind. Um, games where he starts singing songs and then tries to get you to sing them later. And however uh, short period of time he, uh, he, he can get it into your head, he thinks he's won. And he's, it's Inception, and he plays with his buddies. So he plays games like this, but there's another game that he, he probably doesn't even know he plays. But after spending about three hours with him, he began, we've been to play this game called Where's Albo, okay? After about three hours hanging out with him, he'll all of a sudden just kind of disappear somewhere. Like, hold up. There were like eight of us here. And now there's only seven. Where's, where did Albo go? If you, ever, if you haven't played this game with him, I'll, I'll tell you the hint to how to figure out how to win this game. Go to the nearest sofa or go to the nearest bed <laughs> in the bedroom. That's where he'll be. Because after a while, he realized, you know what? Forget this. I need to go away. I need to get some rest. And he slips out. See, Jesus would always be hanging out with his people. And then they'd realize, you know what? Where did Jesus go? Like Jesus was always slipping out and withdrawing to a solitary place. 
so that he could be alone with the Father. How often are we able to do that? Because I think there's a very direct correlation between our willingness to be generous in our time with God and our willingness to be generous in our time with other people. Jesus was always sneaking out to, 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 to spend time with the Father. You heard the story, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, imagine this scene. So imagine with me. You're walking along this path, and you, you come to a forest. Come to a forest, and you see this guy, and he's got a saw, and he's feverishly trying to cut down a tree. Right? Just, just sawing and sawing and sawing. And you're like, hey, dude, what's going on? What are you doing? He's like, what are you, blind? I'm trying to cut down this tree. And you say to him, wow, how long have you been at it? He's like, I've been at it for about five hours and I'm really tired. I just want you to stop talking to me so I can finish this up and chop this tree down, take it home, burn some wood and, and, and be warm tonight. Like, say, um, wouldn't it be nice if you were to just kind of stop for a second and sharpen your saw? I think you'd be a whole lot more effective. I don't have time to do that. I need to chop this tree down. I need to saw this tree down. And you walk away perplexed because you realize that he ought to be doing something rather than feverishly working to sharpen his saw so that he could be more effective to do what he's trying to do. A lot of times we're like that dude in the woods. And so feverishly working and sawing and sawing and sawing. And somebody says, hey, you know what? Maybe you need to pull away and, and sharpen your saw a little bit and, and spend a little bit of time with God so that you might be more effective in what God has called you to do. Again, I... This isn't easy for me to do. I understand. It's not easy for us to do because human nature is to do what we see as tangible and visible and to see results. That's what we want. But could it be that the reason why we're not able to be generous with others and the reason why it's so hard and so tiring to do that is because we're not being generous in our time with God. Every sport knows this. Every sport that's governed by time. They have these things that each team is given called the timeout where you can get away and you can rest and sharpen your saw and at the same time to get instructions for the next play so that you can get back out there and do what the coach has called you to do. A lot of times the reason why we feel like we've got so much going on is because we're not getting our instructions from God. And we're doing so many different things that we're not able to be effective in the few things that God has really called us to do. Are we generous with our time? What if, I forget, there was some lady speaker who was kind of posing this question. What if, if being generous with our money means giving 10%, what if we began to give 10% of our time to God and to his work? What if we begin to take 2.4 hours and begin to spend that with God? You think you wouldn't be a whole lot more effective and a whole lot more generous with other people than you and I are right now? To just kind of pull away and sharpen our axe so that we might be able to get out there and be effective in the things that God's really called us to do. Are you generous with your time? If not, if not, then it could be, it probably is the case that we're not being generous with our time. That's it. Are you, on the other hand, the kind of person who's always giving your time and always feels tired? Then it could be the second thing. You have a hard time saying no to people. 
Right? The second thing that we see here then is Jesus was generous with his time with others, but he wasn't a slave to their demands. He wasn't a slave to their demands. Look at what it says in verse 36. Simon and his cronies went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is, Jesus would be a terrible superhero. Can you imagine like Commissioner Gordon picks up his phone and he says, Batman, we need you. Gotham City Bank is in deep trouble because it's being robbed. And Batman's like, hey, hey, um, Commissioner Gordon, give me about a couple hours. I'll, I'll be down there. I need to, I need to, I don't know. Uh, I need to shine my boots and I'll be down there. Commissioner Gordon calls back and says, oh, Batman, don't worry about it. Everybody's dead. Or Commissioner Gordon calls Batman on his phone. He's like, Batman, Batman, you need to come. There's a riot. There's all this. Everyone is, is looking for you. Everyone's in need of you. And Batman's like, Robin, hey, let's, let's get out of Gotham City. Let's go to Philadelphia. What? What kind of a superhero is that? But that's what Jesus is doing. Like, Jesus, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, Jesus, where were you? Everyone's looking for you. He's like, let's go somewhere else. You're like, what kind of a savior is that? That's weird. But one of the things that we understand about Jesus is that he wasn't driven by the demands of other people. See? He understood exactly what the Father was telling him to do. And he didn't feel like, if I don't do these things, then it's the end of the world. In fact, he said at the end of his life, he said, I have finished the work that you've called me to do. Charles Hummel writes his great piece. If you want to, you should look it up. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent, uh, Inner Varsity Press, a guy named Charles Hummel. And in it, he, he talks about how Jesus, uh, j- the last prayer that Jesus prays, he says, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And he, he asks, what, what, what are you talking about? For as many people as Jesus healed and their leprosy was, was, was made better, there were, there were tons of people whose skin was still broken and was still leprous. How can you say you finished the work? For as many people as their, as their cells were healed, there was still a whole bunch of people walking around with, with, with limp legs and with blind eyes. How could you say you finished the work? But one of the things that we recognize is that Jesus was not a slave to the demands of other people. Do you remember Jesus was always busy. I forgot where I heard this, but Jesus was always busy, but he was never hurried. You get that? He was always busy, but he was never rushing from one place to another. Like, oh my gosh, and, 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 and Jesus ran to the next place and he was huffing and puffing and he needed to take a break. It never says that. Right, Jesus was always just kind of like cool as the other side of the pillow, right? He's just kind of like walking, strolling along, like ain't nobody gonna pressure me into hurrying my stride, right? He's just doing his thing. He's not, wasn't a slave to other people. Everyone else was rushing him. Everyone else was like, Jesus, you've got to hurry up and do these things. But Jesus was like, cool, that's cool. Remember when, when Lazarus was sick and Mary and Martha were like, Jesus, you need to come. He's sick. He's going to die. And Jesus waits about four days. He dies. They're like, Jesus, you know what? Nice of you to come. But if you'd been here four days earlier, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus is like, you know what? Check this out. Let me, let me show you a little bit of some, some. And he Raises him from the dead. They're like, oh, my gosh. Or you see this one. It come, I think it's later in, in this passage. There's a guy named Jairus, right? He's a synagogue ruler, and his daughter is dying. And the, the, 
the servants of Jairus come and they're like, hey, tell Jesus to hurry up and, and, and to come and heal the daughter. And, and, and Jesus is walking to his house. He's taking his time. He's not running. He's not like, everybody stand aside. I'm, I, I need to make my way. But he's just kind of walking along and these crowds are following him because they've seen all the things that he's done. And there's this woman who's bleeding and she touches him. And, and this whole, whole situation happens where he's dialoguing with this lady. And then the servants come and they're like, don't worry about it. He, uh, your, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And then Jesus goes and he, he says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he raises her from the dead, does a resurrection here. But Jesus was never rushed by other people, no matter what they said. Jesus was never a slave to the demands of other people. Somebody said something, okay, I got to go. It wasn't like that. Someone else said something, I got to go. He didn't do stuff like that. Somebody asked him, Jesus, will you do this? Jesus, will you do that? He didn't do everything that everyone asked him to do. Look, everyone is looking for you. Let's go somewhere else. He wasn't a slave to other people's demands. Could it be that the reason why we feel like there's so much on our plate is because we feel like we have to be the savior and the answer person to everybody's problems? If the real Messiah, if the real savior didn't do that, that what makes us think that we can do better than him? See, Jesus didn't give because he needed to feel good about himself. I think sometimes we do that. And we give because we want to feel good about ourselves or, or make ourselves feel better or, or feel like we're being a, a good person. But Jesus didn't care about that. See, we do that when people become big and Jesus becomes small. But when God is big and people are small, it's like, okay, these people are telling me to do all these things, but I don't need to be enslaved to their demands. I can follow the will and the path of God because he never puts more on my plate than he's called me to do, than I'm able to do. And if it feels like that, then it's probably because I've put more on my plate than I ought to have. Some of us have a hard time saying yes to people because we're not spending time being generous with God. Some of us have a hard time saying no to people because we feel like we need to get from them something in order to make ourselves feel better, something that only God can provide and offer to us. That's the second thing. The last thing then. The last thing that we see. Jesus was able to be generous with his time with others because he lived out his priorities. He didn't just know his prayer. He lived them out. Look at what it says. Why did Jesus say, let's go somewhere else? Is it because he's tired? No, look at what he says. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Check this out. That is why I have come. Jesus knew exactly why he was put on planet earth. He knew exactly what his mission was. And anything that deviated from that which was important all these urgent things that popped up in his, in his day. Hey, hey, do this, Jesus, do that. He's like, if it doesn't fit in with my purpose, with what's really important, with my priorities in life, then I'm going elsewhere. Sorry. But I'm not going to kill myself in order to do something outside of the will of God for my life because it would take me off track of what's really important in my life. You see, sometimes I think the greatest failure is when we succeed in the wrong things. The greatest failure sometimes is when we become great at things that don't really matter. Jesus knew what was important and he was laser focused on that thing. 
He said, this is what's important. This is my priority. I'm going to focus on this thing, and I'm not going to be distracted by all these other things. Uh, last Monday, Halloween, um, I, I know Halloween has a bad rap around the church, and I understand that because of its, the, the pagan origins and stuff like that. And, but our, our family and a couple other families from Harvest, um, our kids were too young to watch a movie because they would wreak havoc and, and they wouldn't sit still and they would um, you know, need to leave anyways. And so we decided we're going to go around our, our neighborhood um, because there's short driveways and closes our houses are really close to each other. And um, we're just going to go. We want to kind of say hello to our neighbors and stuff like that. So uh, our Manny and, and Emmeline and Connor and Jalen, um, they came over. We, we ate pizza and then uh, we, we dressed them up. And I think all of this was really confusing to them. If I was a two-year-old or a three-year-old, I'd be looking at each. I'd be looking at the other person and be like, "Why are you dressed like that? What are you wearing? Why are you wearing wings? And why is your hair like that?" Right? Connor's hair was like a rock star. I'm like, why is he looking like he doesn't usually look like that? And and why does Emmeline have these nerdy glasses on? And, and what's going on here? And so we gave them these bags. We gave them these pumpkins, and, and they're like, "What are we doing?" And and so we sat them out on, on, the, on the porch, and we're taking pictures, and they're so confused. They're like, what's going on? And dogs were coming up and playing with them, and then they see people with scream masks coming, and they're like, oh, my gosh, what's, what's happening? This is a crazy day. So we're like, just, just trust us. And so we grabbed them by the hand, and we went to our neighbor's house, and we ding-dong on the doorbell, and, and someone came out. And they're just kind of like looking at them like, what's going on? And the person's really happy to see them, and they're trying to talk with them. And they're like, I, I'm not sure what's, what's happening here. And then the person at the door begins to give them uh, candy. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, man, this is pretty cool. They're still a little bit perplexed because they've never done this before. They're like, if, if we had known, we'd be here all the time. But they don't, they don't know that. They're in the next house. Ding dong. Same thing happens. Somebody opens the door. Big smile. Like, oh, my gosh. And they bring out a bowl of candy. Like, oh, my goodness. What, what's happening here? But I, I think by the time the third house comes, they, they begin to understand what's going on. Somebody ding dongs the bell. The four of them line up. Person opens the door and they start talking to them. They say some gibberish to them. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're so cute. Or you guys are so little. Or what are you supposed to be? Or you guys are too little to trick. And so here's a treat. And they're like, what's going on? They realize by the third or fourth house, you know what? Forget these pleasant. Let's just cut to the chase, lady. Just give me the candy. Give me the candy. <laughs> so we tell them, say hello. Be nice to them. Say goodbye. They're like, no, just give me the candy. They get the candy and they walk away because they realize what's important. They know what their priorities are. There's no time. There's no time to waste in these side conversations, dilly-dallying with people that we don't know, just give me the candy, let me go to the next house and get my candy, and let me get home and eat it. Because they knew what their priorities were, and they were living it. Now, what about us? What are the things that are really important in your life? I know for a fact that when you lie on your deathbed, you guys are not going to say, oh, my gosh, my priorities in life were Facebook and video games, and watching all those movies streaming on Hulu, and playing board games, and doing all of these things with my, that's not going to be what you say is your priority. And yet we spend so much time on these things that really don't matter. What really matters in your life? I think if we were to peel back everything, you would probably say God is important. My family is important. My friends are important. My education or my job is important to me. But how much is that, of that is reflected in the way that we spend our time? You see, sometimes the greatest failure is when we succeed at all the wrong things. 
We say family is important. How much time do we... See, it's not about prioritizing our schedule as much as it is about scheduling in our priorities. If I really say my family is important to me, then I will set aside a day or I'll set aside time for me to be with my family. And so Monday is Manny Monday for us. We spend this time together. I don't have any meetings. I don't meet anybody else. This is our time unless they want to play with Manny and Olivia and and, and me. But that's that's our time. If God is important, then this is my time to be with him. I carved that time out. You may have heard this story. It's a little bit silly, but there's this, this, this kid and only son of a dad, and dad comes home late from work like he always did. And the, the boy says to his dad, he's like, hey, dad, how's your day? He's like, it's, it was all right, son. I, I need to do a little bit more work here. He's doing work, and the boy's like, dad, how much, um, how much money do you make an hour? He's like, um, I don't even tell mom that, so I, I don't think uh, I, I want I I to tell you. And he's like, please, daddy, just tell me. Like, no, and the kid kept on bugging me. So if uh, I make $10 an hour, I make $10 an hour. And the kid's like, okay, um, dad, can I borrow $2? And um, dad's like, no, don't can't borrow $2. Go to sleep. And go to sleep. And sent the boy to sleep, and kid went to sleep, and dad was doing his work. And he began to think about, it. you know, maybe he, maybe I was a little bit harsh on the kid, and he needs $2 for something for school tomorrow, and maybe he needs that. And so he went in the room, and he said, son, are you asleep? And like no, I'm I'm still awake. He's like, hey, um, I wanted to give you uh, wanted to give you the, the, the two dollars that you needed. Um, yeah, I felt I feel bad. I've been so busy past your whole life, and I wanted to give you a couple dollars just to show you that I loved you. And so, boy, got really excited, reached under his pillow, pulled out a few dollars, eight dollars. Said, Dad, can I borrow? Can I buy an hour of your time? How many? How many of our parents? would want to borrow an hour of your time? And how many of our kids would want to borrow or buy an hour of our time? It's sad that it has to be bought in that way. It's sad because our time, we become so enslaved to it. And the reason Jesus enters into our world was to bring redemption to a broken and enslaved world. And so Ephesians chapter 5, when it says to make the most of every opportunity, it says we need to literally redeem the time. When Jesus died for us on the cross, he didn't just redeem us from our sins, but he also redeemed the time. He bought it back from sinful, uh, the, the sinful grasp of time. And he won all of that back and he redeems it. So our time can be redeemed. That Jesus took upon himself all of the the enslavement that we don't need to feel anymore, but we feel enslaved to those things. He says, come to me if you're weary and burdened. I'll give you rest because put, put your burden on me and take my burden upon you because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you'll find rest for your soul. See, Jesus understood that the greatest failure would be to succeed at the wrong things, and he knew what was important. And he lived and he gave and he won and he redeemed your time and my time, you, your life and my life, so that we could be able to give freely to him, generously to other people as well. Let's pray. Let's take some time to, to pray. Maybe uh, where, where do we fit in, in this category? How does this message speak to our hearts? 
Have we been living as if our time is our own? If we do, maybe we need to ask the Lord to forgive us and to help us to understand that the freedom in his blood was not just a freedom from sin, but it's a freedom from all of our enslavements. Maybe we feel like we can't say no to people because they've become so much bigger than God. Or maybe we feel like we can't say yes to help people because we're so tired because we're not spending time with the Lord. Let's come before the Lord and let's take a few moments right now just to come and to confess anything before him, to ask that he would change our hearts. Maybe we need to realign our priorities, to refocus on our priorities and then to work smarter with our time. Let's come to God and let's ask him, Father, what is it that you're calling me to do? And, and, And when we get our marching orders from him, let's pray that, a prayer of commitment, of surrender, asking God, change me. Let not this message be one that inspires my mind but leads to no life change. Change me so that I might be able to be generous and so reflect the beauty of Christ to those who are in need. So let's let's pray together for a couple moments. Let's pray together. If you want to pray quietly, you can. However you need to pray. In a moment, we'll, we'll pray about one more thing. But let's pray together for that. Pray together. we uh, continue to pray we're going to come to the Lord's table here this morning there's other things in your life that you need to confess before the Lord but again the moment of conviction is a moment of, of, of action we don't want to be convicted by God over certain sins and not move to action if we do then our hearts will become harder and harder and become even more desensitized to the Holy Spirit working in us. Let's confess these sins before the Lord. It's his kindness that leads us to that place. Reminded of his grace. Let's confess so that we might approach the table or remain in your seats. So that we might do so in a worthy manner, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Just prayers of confession, preparation as we prepare to come to the table.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much that when we recognize the fallenness of our lives and the brokenness of our world, we don't have to remain enslaved to sin and enslaved to those things anymore. Because at the cross, Jesus took all of these things upon himself and in his resurrection, he broke the chains so that we could go free. Help us not to live as slaves, but help us to live as free people so that our lives might honor you rightly. As we prepare to come to this table of grace and as we reflect and sing about the wonder of the cross, we pray that once again that the beauty of the one who died on it would lead us into worship, would call and beckon us so that our hearts might be melted in grateful surrendered sacrificial obedience again. We thank you so much. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.